Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Today I'm going to share a standalone sermon that I'm calling Songs and Spears. Songs and Spears. And I'm going to dive right into it today. Uh, I believe that God has given me a word for us, and, uh, and I can tell you that God is speaking to me through this today. So if you don't get anything out of it, I will. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and ask you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. We pick up today's text right after David had killed Goliath. He has, he has saved the nation of Israel. And I want you to remember now, David is a young man that is a full-time sheep herder, and he's a part-time giant killer. Okay, so he, his, his job, his occupation is tending to sheep. But as you can imagine, David became a national hero, and his popularity began to spread all throughout the country. He saved the nation of Israel from being oppressed by the Philistines. And so people have taken a liking to this guy. I mean, they are, they are not slaves to another people. And so his popularity has skyrocketed. And we're going to pick it up there. 1 Samuel chapter 18, starting with verse 5. It says, whatever Saul, that's the king, whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. Now, we don't know how much time passed between verses 5 and 6. I'm guessing there's a little bit of time there. It says in verse 6, when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next time, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. Now, when the Bible says that he began to rave in his house like a madman, that doesn't mean that they had like, you know, the, the raves going on. That's not what was happening. He's ravenous. He's a madman. He's out of his mind, okay? He began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped him twice. Church, think about this. As with most leaders, Saul has some jealousy to work through. Listen, if you're a leader, if you're a business leader, if you are a spiritual leader, if you own your own business or you manage people, you know what I'm talking about. And to deny that would be a flat-out lie. We all have these feelings because we're very human. And, and leaders have to work through jealousy sometimes. Every leader wants their subordinates to view them as strong and capable. And in Saul's mind, David is a threat to that. In Saul's, in his mind, he has created this idea that, that David is a threat to, to what God's plans are for his life. So Saul finds himself feeling some very human emotions and he has to figure out how to deal with them and what to do with them. Before we go any further with this message today, I want to address this very real, uh, uh, the, the very real emotions that we as humans have to face. 
Because we all strive for acceptance. We all strive for love. We all want security in our lives. We all want safety. And and, and we strive to reach our potential and and we want to be successful. There's nothing wrong with that. If if that's where you're at in life, hey, that's where I'm at in life. I I don't want to be a failure. I want to be successful. And so there's nothing wrong with, with longing and desiring these things in your life. But at any moment when we feel threatened in any one of those areas, we have this tendency to go on the defense. When we feel threatened by someone that, that, that is coming against us uh, in a way that, that they may not even realize it, but, but, but we feel threatened by them, we go on the defense. We see it in our occupations. We see it in our social circles. We see it in our churches. And we see it in our homes. At any moment when someone threatens our, our, our ambition, our acceptance, our love, our security, our safety, at any moment when we feel threatened in those areas, it's natural for us to go on the defense. If we feel someone in, encroaching on our position at work, when you've got this group of friends And you feel someone from the outside invading those friendships. When someone starts questioning our beliefs, dismissing our desires, we assume this position to strike back because everyone knows that the best offense is a good defense. And when it comes to human emotions, there's not much difference between the two. You might say that you're not offended, but it's hard to separate being offended and going on the defense. They're hand in hand. They go right together. And in Saul, we see a king that from the outside appearance, just reading the the ink to paper, it, it looks like Saul struck first. That's because we're reading a series of events in what is a book of history. It is Jewish history. Sure, I understand, before you start emailing me, I understand that this is the living word of God. I understand that Christ is weaved through all the pages of of this book. I get that. I understand that. But sometimes, as with most written literature, we fail to see the heart and emotion behind the action. This is the reason why I will only correspond a couple of times on a, on a heated subject by email. If you've ever tried to correspond with me on, on something that is, is a little heated or controversial in any way, you will know that I will only respond a couple of times by email before I say, hey, you need to come to my office. We need to have a face-to-face conversation because through email, you, you can't see the heart behind it. That's why I try not to express my emotions on Facebook. Oh, I know who you are. You saw saw me make eye contact with you, didn't you? (laughs) Because sometimes you can be so passionate about something, and you're right. Sometimes you're right. Sometimes you're dead wrong. But sometimes you're right. But just because you have the power of the keyboard, people fail to see the passion behind it, the heart behind it. Just because you're passionate does not mean that you 
or a wordsmith and you can type it all out and express what needs to be said. There's things that are lost in translation. And on paper, we fail to see the emotions behind this man. I, I think sometimes we, we read this and, and we think, well, King Saul was just this evil guy. Well, for the most part, we know the end of the story, or most of us do, and we know that, yeah, yeah, he was a pretty rotten guy. But something had to happen in his life to get him to that point. Because at one point, he was chosen to be king of Israel by God. At one time, God looked at him and said, you're capable of doing this. I see potential in you. But something changed in this man's life. And so just reading the, 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 the words on, on the pages of our Bible, we fail to see the, the emotions behind this man. If it were possible today for me to interview King Saul, I, I'm sure that he would plead his case. He would even try to convince us probably that he was the victim, that, that David encroached upon him, that, that, that Saul was the one that, that, that received the first shot, that David fired the first shot. In his mind, he probably believed all of this, and we have the advantage of seeing the whole story played out, but Saul was living through the emotions of his heart. I'm not making excuses for him, okay? As a matter of fact, if you know this story, he did not play it out the right way, but he is trying to live out the emotions of his heart. In life, we too have very real emotions toward coworkers and friends, church members, and even family members. We have very real emotions. And when, when we feel offended or threatened, if we are not careful, we will get so caught up in that moment that we will lash out. At the moment that we feel like a shot has been fired against us, we will fire back. And we don't even realize what's really happening, what's really going on in our heart and how the enemy is trying to bring division there. I understand that this can happen to the best of us. It's unplanned. It does not catch people, or, or sometimes it, it, it doesn't only catch the people around us off guard, but sometimes it even catches us off guard. Some of you have heard this before, but back in, I believe it was... 2003, I believe, right around there, I, I, I planned a mission trip to the Cayman Islands. And I know what you're thinking. Wow, what a mission trip. Hey, if God calls you, you got to go, right? Mandy and I took a group of leaders and, and teenagers. There was about, about 30, 30 plus of us that went on this trip, and we were going to run their youth camps. We went to one of the smaller islands, Cayman Brack. At the time, there were only 1,200 inhabitants on the island, and 120 of them were teenagers. A tithe of the island were, were students, teenagers. And so they invited us to come in and run their youth camps. And so during the day, we were the rec staff. We were the event coordinators. We did, we did all that. And it wasn't where they all came and, and slept under one roof. The, the whole island was only 12 miles wide. And at its or long, and at its widest point, it was a mile and a half wide. So they all went home, slept in their own beds, came back the next morning for camp, and they would stay all day until the night service with us. And then I would get up and preach, and my drama team that was with me, they would do some drama, and then our, we had our youth choir and our praise band and all that there. And I remember <clears throat> it was about midweek, and the stress level was high. I guess I probably need to, to fill you in on what was happening inside of me a little bit. 
on the second day that we were there, the day before the camps were to start, it was a Sunday, I had preached that morning in, in one of the three or four churches that are on the island, and I was out in a hammock out by the ocean. And one of my workers came running up to me, and uh, he, he told me that I needed to get my rear end moving, but he didn't use rear end. The guy was panicking, and he said, you need to get your moving. Your wife has just been hit by a car. So I went running. I mean, I ran 300 yards in lightning fast speed. It was amazing. It wasn't that far, but man, it felt like it. By the time I got there, I needed paramedics. Mandy didn't need them. I needed them. Sure enough, Mandy had been hit by a car. She was riding a bike, and uh, a woman came around the corner and hit her from behind, and Mandy broke her ankle, and we couldn't get a flight out till Thursday. She said, I can just stick it out, and it was just, it was just a disaster, the whole thing. Uh, there's so much that went wrong this week, and so Wednesday night comes around. We're halfway through the, the youth camp. <clears throat> I'm standing at the keyboard. And my band is behind me, and as I'm standing at the keyboard, we're rehearsing, we're doing a sound check for service, and my, my youth choir is over there. And I look over, and this, this girl named Janet, who Janet at times, she would have, and if she's watching, Janet, I love you, but uh, you know I'm right. At times, she would have a little bit of an attitude. I loved her, but she would have a little bit of an attitude sometimes. And, and, and Janet is standing in... in her, her circle around her microphone and, and, and her section and I'm standing over at my keyboard and sound check is not going good. It's, it's, I mean, it's just a bad week. Things were just not going right. And I'm standing at my keyboard and I look over and I read Janet's lips as she looks at the people in her, in, in her section and she says these, these words. And, and I apologize for all the, the kids that are in the room but here's what, here's what I, I watched her lips. Here's what she said. This song sucks. And we are 30 minutes from going live and ministering in a service. And she tells her section, this song sucks. I'm standing at my keyboard. I pushed the microphone away and I went, Janet! She looks at me and I went, you shut your mouth! She looks at me like, and all the girls in, in, in her, her section are looking at me going, I said, I don't want to hear another peep out of you. I got up that night, and man, the Holy Spirit was dealing with me. I preached the worst message of my life, even worse than this one. <laughs> I preached a horrible message that night. It was awful. The Holy Spirit was dealing on me, with me, and I realized I'm not a lip reader. After service that night, I went to Janet and I said, Janet, here's what I think that you said. I think that you said this song sucks. She says, I didn't. I said, this song rocks. <laughs> I said, Janet, I owe you an apology. And I called the entire team downstairs. There was a pool there at this resort that we were staying at, struggling on this mission trip. <laughs> and I gathered all of them around the pool, and I apologized to that girl in front of the whole group. But let me tell you what was happening in me. My wife had been hit by a car the second day we were there. 
there was a pastor on the island that came against our, our team for mixed bathing. Now, if you don't know what mixed bathing is, on Saturday, after we flew in on Friday, we took everybody snorkeling. They took us out to this reef and we all snorkeled. And this pastor found out about it. And they are very legalistic on that island. And he went around telling all the other pastors to boycott our camp because they were letting boys and girls swim together. The stress level of that week, I, Mandy will tell you, I've been to Guatemala numerous times, I've been to Peru, I've, I've been on mission trips all over you know, South America, and I can tell you that that was the hardest mission trip of my life. We were in tropical paradise, it was the hardest week of my life, and with all that mounting up, I exploded on someone, and I didn't even know all the facts. It's what happens to us when we feel threatened at any moment. At the moment we feel any type of offense, we have this, this tendency to lash back. And sometimes we respond in a way that not only catches others off guard, it catches us off guard. And, 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 and we respond in a way that when we step back and look at it, we're not proud of. And the key, church, is that we must recognize what happened and let God deal with our emotions. Failure to do so will cause us to become repeat offenders. Now listen to me, this is important. We will become repeat offenders if we don't allow God to work on us. And if we allow an action to be repeated in our lives, then it becomes premeditated. If you don't allow God to deal with something and you act out that way again, then it is premeditated. Listen to what happens in the next chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. But one day when Saul was sitting at home with spear in hand, the tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him again as David played his harp. Saul hurled his spear at David, but David dodged out of the way and leaving the spear stuck in the wall, he fled and escaped into the night. That'll teach you for playing Christmas music before Thanksgiving. <laughs> Stress seems to bring out the worst in people. How many of you will agree with me? Are you man enough or woman enough to admit that stress brings out the worst in you? Man. As I said a few weeks ago, when the heat is turned up, the impurities rise to the surface. It's only natural. This happens. You and everybody else will see what you're made of when the stress levels turn up. I want you to notice how each one of these two men is armed. The first instance, 1 Samuel 18 and 10, it says, The very next day a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand. Second instance, 1 Samuel 19, verses, verse 9, it says, But one day when Saul was sitting at home with spear in hand, the tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him again as David played his harp. The way that you respond to stress is determined by your daily weapon of choice. Whatever you choose to pick up that day is how you will respond. And if you are constantly offended or threatened, that means you're probably waking up each day and picking up your spear and carrying it with you throughout the day because you're expecting someone to offend you. Saul was armed with a spear often 
Saul was armed with a spear, even when he was surrounded by friends and not foes. While a young man just sits in a corner and plays his harp because it soothed Saul at one time, it would calm his anxiety down. But yet he could not release the spear. In 1 Samuel chapter 26, we find Saul sleeping with his spear by his side. This man became paranoid. He became obsessed. When you constantly live life offended, you're going to end up destroying the relationships that matter the most. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, King Saul is angry with his son Jonathan. You see, Jonathan and David have become best friends. They had a very strong bond, and, and Jonathan could see his father's destructive behavior, and he tries to help his father see the error of his ways. But Saul gets so upset that if you read the scripture, he calls Jonathan's mom... A, a, a bad name. Men, be careful with that. Little ears are listening. If that is a habit of yours, you're living life clutched to a spear. He calls his son's mom a, a, a bad name, and then Saul tries to stir up dissension between these friends by accusing David of trying to steal his kingdom and trying to steal. Jonathan's future role as king. But what happens next is a byproduct of not allowing God to deal with his heart. 1 Samuel 20 and verse 33 says, Then Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan, intending to kill him. He tries to kill his own son with the same spear. When you live your life, church, clenching to a spear, you will destroy every relationship that matters. And, and, and what if the very thing that you are fighting against is the very thing that God has put in your life for a purpose? It's crazy, I know. But what if the thing that you're the most offended by has been placed there by God? It, it, it's the very thing that once soothed your soul, but now it drives you crazy. You know what I'm talking about. At one time, you loved how clingy your husband was. Now you can't stand it. Probably because that clinginess brought, brought forth two and a half kids. But, but hey, I know. At one time, you loved how frugal she was. This was exactly what you needed in your life to curb your spending habits. But you let a few years go by of that, and at first she was a godsend, but now you see her as a controlling dictator. At one time, you appreciated how your boss brought the best out of you by pushing you to be better, but now you see him or her as a tyrant. At one time, you trusted the green pastures and still waters that your shepherd would lead you to, but now you jump the fence for greener pastures and troubled waters. The very thing that you fight against can be the very thing that God put in your life for a purpose and for a reason. It saddens me that Saul had such a great ally in David and he didn't even realize it. David was loyal to Saul, had opportunities to kill Saul, and chose not to, saying, that's God's anointed. I'll let God deal with him. Sure, David was anointed to be the next king of Israel, but he would never dethrone Saul. His heart was pure, but Saul couldn't see it because he lived clutching a spear, living offended. So you have Saul living with a spear, and you have David 
holding on to a harp. This is that moment that I wanted to sit here and start playing so beautifully and really impress you. I even tried to figure out yesterday how to play Mary Had a Little Lamb on this thing. I don't even know how to tune this. But David did. One is an instrument of healing. The other is used for hurting. One was used to deliver. The other to destroy. One when played would soothe. The other would strike. And David... David was a great warrior. Don't get me wrong. For you men that have gone through my, my Bible study that I led on David the Great, you, you know what I'm talking about. David was a ruthless killer. When it was time to go to war, you did not want to fight David. But when it came to dealing with things inside the kingdom, the things that he loved the most, David would pick up his harp. And it caused him to write some great songs. Songs that would say something like this. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. He would write, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. He would write things like, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Or his best-selling single, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In some of the most trying moments of David's life, he picked up a harp and he began to put pen to paper. God, here is what I want to express to you. And every time that the king attacked David, David never put his harp down to pick up that spear. You know why? It's hard to play the harp and throw a spear at the same time. It's hard to, to fulfill what you've been called to do in the presence of a king and retaliate at the same time. We need to practice, church. We need to practice dodging arrows Dodging spears instead of throwing stones. Because offense can happen on both sides. You can think to yourself, I'm so justified in, in what's going on in my life right now that I deserve to pick up a rock and hit them. And, and don't you know, don't you know, church, that David had his concealed sling permit? He had the sling underneath that. You're not, you're not that bad with a sling. That you can kill a lion, a bear, and a, a, and a very tall man, a giant, and not carry it with you everywhere that you go. Saul, who are you messing with? If he wanted to, he could have pulled that sling out at any moment and tattooed that man right between the eyes. But he clung to a harp and was faithful. I'm praying to God. God, teach me to dodge spears and not throw stones. Oh, there's a time to throw stones. 
When an outside enemy threatens to attack the kingdom of, of God, when, when, when David felt that the kingdom that he loved so much was threatened, it was a time to throw stones. But when there was an internal quarrel, it was time to dodge spears and pick up the harp and praise God. I believe there's so much to learn about dodging spears, probably even more so than learning not to throw them. People are human. And humans tend to have a bad day from time to time. But in this kingdom, we're ordered to extend grace. Church, I want you to look at me and I want you to listen to your shepherd closely. If ever there's a season to extend grace, it's now. If ever there's a season to extend grace to our brothers and sisters in Christ, it's now. There are forces outside of the kingdom that are threatening. This is no time for us to argue with our brothers and our sisters, to place accusations against them and to plant seeds against them. This is that moment that if ever the church needed to extend grace to one another, it is that moment right now. I, I like how Randall Wallace, who, who wrote the screenplay for the movie Braveheart, no relation to William Wallace, I checked it out, but Randall Wallace, he said these words, and man, these have stuck with me. Listen to what he said. He said, when I criticize someone, it's a quiet whisper in their ear, but when I praise someone, I shout it from the rooftop. God, teach me to do that. Would you pray that? God, teach me to do that. If I've got a problem with my brother or my sister in Christ, let me follow the words of Jesus and go to them and have a conversation one-on-one. -on -one. Let me whisper quietly in their ear. But Lord, when I want to praise them, let me stand on the rooftop and shout it out loud. Lord, I want the world to know that I'm celebrating with my brother or with my sister. The first few months of World War I were some of the bloodiest of the entire war, a war that would eventually claim 16 million lives. But it's interesting of what happened at Flanders Field on Christmas Eve of 1914. The British soldiers were in their trenches, and they looked across the field, and they noticed some strange lights on this Christmas Eve flickering off in the distance. What they would later find out is that the Germans and put some trees up and put some candles in those trees as, as little Christmas trees. It was a breath of fresh air as the sounds of explosions and gunfire gave way to the moment of peace as the two sides started singing Christmas carols back and forth to one another, including Silent Night. On Christmas morning, History tells us that they slowly emerged from the trenches, presenting gifts to each other, gifts of plum pudding and cigarettes, just as an act of kindness. As the day progressed on that Christmas, history tells us that they even had a friendly game of soccer on that field. It gave them an opportunity to go and reclaim their dead and take them back to their side. The fighting stopped for a moment in time in celebration of a baby that changed the world. 
Church, this is what happens when we invite Christ into our disagreements. When Christ is exalted, our offenses won't be. When we lift up Jesus, it's hard to carry offense. When we grab tight to a harp, it's hard to pick up and throw the spear back. This is the most stressful season that I have watched humanity walk through. And we've been through some stuff. I am watching as the outside attack has given way and people that truly love each other are coming at each other. Jesus gave us a model for offense. He said, If your brother or your sister has offended you, you go to them one-on-one. -on -one. Try and solve it with just the two of you. Don't go around sowing discord to somebody else. If that doesn't work, then you take someone with you that both of you trust. Maybe they can be a voice of reason that can bring the two of you back together. He says, if that doesn't work, then you take it to the church. I'm afraid sometimes we get this backwards because we're, we're trying to build our team, our army. And so we go to people in our houses and we start complaining about one of the other household members trying to build a team. We go to people on our jobs and we complain about other coworkers because we need people on our side that see it our way and we don't even look at and realize how we're destroying another person's life. We're justified in it because they threw a spear. But instead of being the peacemaker, oh, by the way, Jesus did say, blessed are the peacemakers. God, teach us how to hold tight to the harp. How to sing praise when nothing makes sense. When we're offended, Lord, let us choose to walk in understanding and forgiveness. Let us choose to walk in grace. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.